This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks your dedicated star trek books and comics show here on the trek fm network i'm one of your hosts dan gunther and joining me as always is the irascible the wonderful the one and only bruce gibson Bruce, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. i've been waiting for this all day because you know i'm at work and i have to work you know and mm-hmm. it's like, I'm like, I want to do something fun. Oh, yeah, we're recording literary treks. I don't pronounce. I, I need to enunciate that literary treks. I always say literary treks. Like people are probably going, like, what is he talking about? Literary treks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I think at this point they know what we're referring to. But yeah, no, it's yeah. I guess so. I guess so. But I bet you were slurring a lot because you were like partying for like days <laughs> at the Calgary Comics and Entertainment Expo. Yeah, it's uh it's a yearly event in Calgary, Alberta. It's in Alberta. Calgary, really? It is. Yeah. Uh you know, it'd be really weird if it was somewhere else. A really strange name. But yeah, no, it's in Calgary, Alberta, and Alberta of course is the province in Canada that I live in, and it's kind of a it's an annual thing and me and a bunch of friends try to make a point to go every year. And it's a ton of fun. There's always at least one person from Star Trek there and then lots of other people. I don't know about anyone else, uh, but I really enjoy the show Dark Matter. And there were a couple actors from that show there. Um, Oh, and uh, one really big thing, of course, is Stan Lee was there, even though last year he said was the last year he was going to make it. But he showed up this year as kind of a bit of a surprise last minute announcement thing. And, you know, all kinds of people from all over different um, media and, and all kinds of genre stuff. It's just a really amazing weekend. Uh, oh, Jay and Silent Bob were there. I mean, it, it's just a great time. Oh, wow. So on the Star Trek side, you met Colmini. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. He is one. I, I've met a number of the actors over the years at various conventions and stuff. And he is one that's always been on the top of my list. And yeah, finally got a chance to meet him this time around and great guy had a great discussion panel thing with him and, uh, you know, got my picture taken with him, got his autograph, all the little fan stuff. It it was great. For those who don't know, that's Chief Miles O'Brien. In case somebody doesn't know who that is. (laughs) You never know. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And they're, 
See, this is some, I, I want to take a second to talk about this because there are some people out there that will say, if you don't know that Cole Meany is Chief O'Brien, you're not a true Star Trek fan. And I say to heck with that. If you like Star Trek in any which way whatsoever and want to call yourself a Star Trek fan, you know what? You're a Star Trek fan. I hate gatekeeper <laughs> fan people. Anyway, that's my little rant. <laughs> well, yeah, because just, somebody can be like, oh, well, I know who Miles O'Brien is. I just didn't know the actor's name, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Not everybody eats, lives, and breathes it like we do. <laughs> exactly. As you can probably tell, somebody recently called me, me, not a true Star Trek fan because I actually happen to like some things about the J.J. Abrams movies. So, you know, don't go around calling people not true fans. That's, somebody said that's that to me. you recently? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Can you believe no. that? Me. <laughs> yeah. You just devote all this time to reading novels of Star Trek and doing a podcast and writing about it and living it and everything. Yeah. You're not a true yeah. fan. Not a true fan, though. No, definitely not. <laughs> anyway, so today we've actually got quite a few little news bits that have come up. Let's get right to the news here. First of all, I see you've put in the news here a couple of interviews that are floating around the web. The first of which is an interview that TrekCore.com did with J.K. Woodward. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Well, yeah, because J.K. Woodward is an artist for comics, and he actually doesn't draw in the traditional sense on comics. He actually paints, and he's done some Star Trek titles, among some other things. So he recently did the City on the Edge of Forever comic. He did the Star Trek Year 4, number 6 issue. And now he's doing the Next Generation miniseries that's coming out later this month on May 17th. Issue 1 is coming out. And it's called Mirror Broken. And it takes place in the Mirror universe with the Next Generation crew. And so he was interviewed by Trek Corps. And I thought one of the things that was interesting, and I'm not going to, of course, read through everything that he said in the interview. You have to go to Trek Core and read it. That's what we're doing. We're telling you that it's there. But one of the things I wanted to uh, touch on was they asked him, when did you get called upon to take on Mere Broken? And he said, actually started with CBS product style guide. They were planning or are planning a merchandise based on this comic which isn't even out yet. So there's this merchandising thing going on and he's working on the style guide. So hmm. I guess we're going to see some products that take place in the mirror universe with the next generation. I'm not really that clear. So he went to John Van Sitters, who's the vice president of customer products at CBS for Star Trek and asked, Hey, let's do a comic around the style guide. And he had different ideas and stuff. And he got with the Tipton brothers and they wrote the series and that's what we're getting. Uh, there's a mini issue that recently came out on free comic book day that leads into this series. So, uh, this is a big deal. And, uh, I suggest take, uh, taking a look at this article. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I'm really fascinated about that. I wonder what merchandise it could be that they're planning. Yeah, I don't know. It's mirror universe bobbleheads or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking along the action figure line or something like mm -hmm. that, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's plates. I don't know. I have no interesting. Idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm honestly kind of drawing a blank on that. That's that's really interesting. Well, it's it's cool too because the the way he paints the comics, he says it takes him about 
eight to 10 hours just to do the pencil for each page. So a single mm-hmm. page takes eight to 10 hours. And he says that part is easy. Then he goes to paint the page and that takes an additional 16 to 20 hours. So 30 hours per page. So when you pick up these comics by him, keep in mind that every time you turn the page, think that's 30 hours. That was another <laughs> 30 hours of his time. It takes a long time to make uh, the art for these comic books. That's amazing. And yeah, like having had the opportunity to read the city on the edge of forever comic, I would believe it. I mean, it's, it's surprising, but not shocking because yeah, the art in those is absolutely gorgeous for sure. It is. And then the other thing among the series is the, uh, is trekmovie.com. They did an interview with the Tipton brothers who wrote the comic. So we just talked about the artist. Now we're talking about, the writers of the comic. And again, so if you want to read their interview, go to trekmovie.com. But they were uh, asked about the fact that there's really been not any next generation history in the mere universe within the TV series itself. And they said, um, they answered, or David answered, it's important to keep in mind that the mere characters aren't exact reverse counterparts of the characters we know. They are more like dark reflections, and they have unique personalities that reflect their environment and particular natures. Their backstories are important because those help us to understand their motives. And Scott says, it's a tricky line to walk. The mere universe characters aren't opposites. They're the same people just raised in an entirely different culture, which is bound to affect every decision they make. It's tempting to say, this is evil data, but the more interesting thing to explore is what makes him still the same character in a world so drastically different, and how would that character react to that kind of life? That sounds really interesting. Um, Have you ever read Diane Duane's novel, Dark Mirror? Yes, I have. It's been a while, but yes. It's one of my favorites, and and yeah, it, it kind of explores the TNG mirror universe and i love the way she did the characters in that novel so you know i'm really excited to see what these guys have come up with for the tng mirror characters in this comic so that that's really really cool looking forward to that i think it'd be fun to read dark mirror after these comics come out and picture the characters the way they we see them in the comics with sleeveless shirts and the big biceps on Picard, <laughs> you know, and his goatee. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, well, we'll add it to the list, <laughs> the ever-growing list. <laughs> it just keeps getting longer and longer. Oh, we want to read this. Hey, let's do this one and this one and this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as as crazy as that can be, I kind of dread the day that the list actually gets shorter. So I, I it's a good thing, I think. <laughs> I don't think that will ever happen. I think we'll be really old if that were to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, speaking of new things that are coming out that, you know, might get added to people's lists, we've got the Star Trek, the classic UK comics, volume four. If you've been collecting these, these are, of course, hardcover collections of those comic strips that ran in the UK. Now, the hardcover pre-order is now available. It will be coming out this fall. The release date for that is September the 19th, and it has a list price of $49.95 US. So make sure to check out Amazon or wherever you get your books from and get that pre-ordered because 
that's uh, I know a lot of Star Trek fans who collect these and really love these UK comics. So just a heads up that that is now available for pre-order. I did see it on Amazon for pre-order and it was a slightly reduced price. It's around $43 as opposed to the near $50. So you can save a little nice. money there. I don't know if it's reduced anywhere else, but I don't have any of the I don't have the other volumes. Um mm-hmm of this and I'm hoping to get them at some point. Yeah, I I I've flipped through them but yeah, I haven't picked them up myself. And uh, I I should point out here amazon.com not a sponsor. We don't get any money from them or anything. But if you do order from Amazon, I I love pre-ordering stuff from Amazon because they have a pre-order price guarantee most of the time, which is if the that price drops at any point before the release date, you will get that reduced price. So you know, if you pre-order it and it's forty forty five forty four ninety nine or whatever, uh, and the price drops for some reason to thirty seven ninety nine, they'll only charge you that, which is really cool. Okay, so I just want to point out a correction. This is my fault, everybody. It's a typo in the notes. This is volume three. It's not volume four. It's oh. actually volume three. It's a typo in the notes. So <laughs> everybody remember volume three. That's volume three. Everyone who paused the podcast when we said volume four and are either furiously looking online for this volume four or hurriedly typing an email to us to explain how we got that wrong. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're just so excited because we're thinking there must be a volume four coming out at some point. (laughs) (laughs) We just got a little ahead of ourselves for sure. Yes. Well, speaking of other things that are coming out, this is one that I'm really excited for. Uh, the next Department of Temporal Investigations ebook novella, Shield of the Gods, we've got a cover. So we get to judge a cover. This one is coming out on June 19th and by Christopher L. Bennett, of course, who has written all of the Department of Temporal Investigations novels and novellas. And, you know, I have to say, I really like this cover. So we've had variations on clocks and we've had that weird last one for time lock that was just a bunch of blue Tron shapes going on. This one's really cool. This is kind of, we've got a planet with city lights and kind of almost an Aurora Borealis shining off of it and a moon with a a ship flying away. And like that ship kind of looks like the old AMT UFO Star Trek model kit that they released that really actually wasn't any ship in Star Trek. It was just one they made up, but I don't know. I really like this cover. I think it's just gorgeous. It's kind of generic, but still really beautiful. What do you think of this one? It's not as generic as the last one. No, that is definitely true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like it. It, if you took the Star Trek title off of it, I would not know that this is a Star Trek novel because there's nothing Mm -hmm. in here. Like you said, that ship there's, I don't know what that ship is. So there's nothing here that I can identify as, as being Star Trek, but um, yeah, it's a nice cover. I mean, it looks good. I, I like it better than some of the other ones we've had in this series. I'd like mm-hmm. to know what that ship is though. So um, yeah. I guess I'll find out when I read it. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where it, it's bright and colorful and it's kind of too bad that we won't ever see it sitting on a bookshelf like that because it's an ebook only release. So, you know, you won't be able to b- walk into a bookstore and see it, but uh, it, it is, it, it's still a nice cover, I think. Yeah, I like it. Um, 
I'm I'm looking forward to reading it, and we'll definitely cover it when it was, is released. We'll cover it here on the show. Excellent. So yeah, I think I think this one gets my stamp of approval. Same here. <laughs> All right. Now, one final bit of news that I want to talk about. This one's not strictly speaking Star Trek, but it is a new novel that's coming out from friend of the podcast, David Mack. I think we can call him friend of the podcast, right? I mean, he's been on it. I I, I think he's our friend. Um, Sure. I mean, I would like to say that, but I feel like I have to ask him. <laughs> well, tentative friend of the podcast, David Mack has uh, the first novel in his original kind of fantasy sci-fi World War II series coming out. And it's been officially announced for coming out in January. This first book, it's called The Midnight Front, and it's set during World War II, featuring magic users fighting for the Allies. Now, this is the first in a series. Book two is called The Iron Codex. It's about the 1950s. And book, book three is The Shadow Commission, set in the 1960s. And this one, this cover that they've released for this book is absolutely gorgeous. If you haven't seen this, you should go check it out. Again, it's The Midnight Front by David Mack, coming in January. You can pre-order it now. Um, about the cover, David Mack, upon seeing it, said to his publisher, Marco Palmieri, heck yes, your team nailed it. Except I have to say he did not use the word heck in that quote. So make of that what you will. Uh, he's very pleased with the cover and yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I'm definitely going to be picking this one up. And if you're a fan of David Mack's work and his Star Trek novels and stuff, I think you should probably pick this one up too, because it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, Dan, you know what you have just done. You have now opened the door for all the other authors who are our friends to promote any of their non-Star Trek books here on the show. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. Um, the more that we keep these authors fed, the more likely it is that they'll be making, they'll be writing Star Trek books. <laughs> so, <laughs> Let's order them this... a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and this one genuinely, like I'm, I'm not just pimping it because it's David Mack. I'm genuinely the description of this book and what it's about. It sounds really fascinating. No, it does. And I, I agree with you. I, I really want to support our uh, Star Trek authors and support them in their other endeavors in these books that they're doing. I'm definitely interested in reading this. I just hope I have the time because I'm reading mm -hmm. so much Star Trek lately. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been reading the fifth Song of Ice and Fire book for like the last year now. <laughs> like I just keep, I read a little bit of it and then the next Star Trek novel. And then I read a little bit of it and then whatever we're covering next week on Literary Treks. And yeah, so it does really eat into time for reading other books for sure. Yeah, there's a book that I've been reading for the past year and I just finished it on, I think, Monday. And uh, when I went to Goodreads to finally say that I finished it, I looked back and I was like, oh, wow, I started it April of last year. So it has been a year. <laughs> and I finished it in May of this year. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, if you just look at it, you know, if you like started in April, finished in May, that's not so bad. I really just don't look too closely. <laughs> yeah, I really read more than half of it probably in the last two months. But yeah, it dragged. I dragged it on for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Well, like I said, any of these books that you are interested in that we've talked about, make sure to search uh, for them and and get them pre-ordered because, you know, we really love to see sales of Star Trek books do really well. And of course, books by the authors we really like. And if you want to talk to us about anything that we've mentioned here on the news or anything that we talk about in the future, there are a number of ways you can get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Trek FM. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. If you're on Facebook and you feel the real burning desire to talk about Star Trek and all of the shows on the network, you can find our listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference. Just search for the Babel Conference. That's B-A-B-E-L on Facebook. It's our listeners only group, but we will let you right in there. And Bruce, what's another really good way for our listeners to get in touch with us and talk about all the books we discuss here on Literary Treks? Well, you can send us an email. You can go to the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Just choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that will come straight to us. And then if you go to goodreads.com, you can join our group there. We have a bookshelf with all our previously covered books, as well as the books we're currently reading, and also what books we have coming up for future shows. So you can go in there and see that, and also get involved in great conversations happening about the books and the comics that we have going on in the group. So just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads, and then click Join Group and join in on the fun. Excellent. Well, what do you say we get to today's feature? Let's do it. Well, for today's feature, we're going to be talking about the second half of the Star Trek Classics, Volume 2, Enemy Unseen. If you didn't catch our Part 1 discussion of the first series in that omnibus, you might want to check out Literary Treks 185. That's where we talked about the first part of this volume. But in today's episode, we're talking about the second half. So this second half is made up of one kind of standalone story and then another four-part miniseries. So we'll start out by talking about that first standalone story, and that one's called Embrace the Wolf, written by Christopher Golden and Tom Snigoski. Now, I almost said Embrace the Wharf when I read that, but I caught myself. <laughs> Embrace the Wolf. <laughs> Troy Troy has embraced the wharf. <laughs> that's true. That's true. A number of people have embraced the wharf over the years. Um <laughs> But that is not what this story is <laughs> That's about. That's not what this story is about, unfortunately. As much as we <laughs> want to see Troy embrace Worf, it's not in this book. <laughs> awesome. Well, this was... Um, so this story is set during the run of the TNG series. So we've got everybody on the Enterprise D. We've got, you know, the season three through seven uniforms going on. I'm, I'm thinking probably season six, season seven is when this takes place. And the Enterprise is traveling to a planet, a peace-loving world called Enoch 7. But when they get there, unfortunately, uh, I guess unfortunately is probably not the strongest term I could have used. This planet has destroyed itself, basically. The people have killed themselves most of them in a, in a huge nuclear war. So this is a big surprise because they're expecting to find this peace-loving world here. Yeah, because they don't fight. 
they live in peace and they get this this mission to go and check on them and they're just like how can these people have any you know issues of war or anything they all get along they they embrace the wharf in each other and <laughs> and then uh. they get there and they look the planet looks peaceful the next thing you know it, things are blowing up and they're like oh my gosh no <laughs> this that's one thing first of all i want to talk a little bit about the art in this story there's some parts that are a little kind of crazy, but at the same time, I kind of like the almost cartoonish aspect to it. But I do have to say this one shot, this one full page shot of the Enterprise in orbit of this world with these nuclear explosions going off all over the surface. As far as, you know, you can pick little parts about, you know, the ship maybe not looking quite right or a little cartoony or whatever. This is a gorgeous shot. I think this is beautiful. Oh, see, I wasn't sure where you're going to go with that. I was like, does he like it or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I like it, uh, but the more I'm looking at it, it looks a bit, maybe a little bit unrealistic to me. It just, I don't know if the clouds of smoke, you know, the explosions coming up would come up into that far off the planet like that or not but no i mean outside mm -hmm. of that i mean it, it tells you what's going on that everything's just being destroyed on the planet yeah i think it's a bit embellished like yeah. a lot of the stuff in this story is is a little over the top a little bit kind of it's there's an artistic license being taken for sure but it it reminded me of the shot of Caprica in the original battle, not the original Battlestar Galactica, but the Battlestar Galactica miniseries that started off the new Battlestar Galactica series uh, of the explosions going off all over the surface. It's just, it's, it's beautiful, but horrific, you know? Yeah. I do love the art in this uh, comic. I enjoy it. So yeah, basically this planet has, you know, decimated its population and they beam down to figure out what the heck's going on and, and what's happened. And it's pretty clear that there is some other force at work fairly quickly here. And this is probably going to seem very familiar if, a, if you're a longtime fan of Star Trek, because what we have here turns out to be Red Jack or Jack the Ripper or hundreds of other names. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this story is somewhat of a sequel to the original series episode, Wolf in the Fold, from season two, episode 14. And this is one where Scotty is accused of murdering this woman, when they, the belly dancer, when they're down the planet. And he's like, I don't remember doing anything, Captain. I, I swear to you, I, I don't remember anything. But he's holding the knife, you know. And we come to find out Red Jack had been like going into people's bodies and taking over them and, and killing people and, and causing all kind of chaos and fear within people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a classic episode of the original series, some, some kind of cheesy things in it, but you know, one of, one of the classics that a lot of people remember for sure. And I think the most threatening thing is that this time around Red Jack doesn't sound like Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. So, you know, that's pretty menacing right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bother. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's funny because I watched this episode uh, after I read the comic. Because anytime I read mm. something like this and I go, oh, it's from that episode. You know, I'm going to go back and read, watch the episode. And so I did. And yeah, I thought about Piglet. When, every time I see an actor, I'm so sorry. That poor guy. I always look at Piglet when I see him. <laughs> he doesn't even look like a pig, but he's bald. I love his stunt double. You can tell he's wearing like a bald cap when Kirk's oh, yeah, thrown around yeah. the conference room or whatever. <laughs> Ghosts and goblins. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So, I'm sorry, Commissioner. I can't sit here and listen to this for another moment. <laughs> <laughs> now I wish I would read this comic with the piglet voice going on. That would be really good. It does really add something if you imagine that. But when we actually do meet Red Jack later, his, you know, black speech bubbles with red writing definitely don't really lend themselves to the piglet voice. So, no. I feel like maybe they were trying to compensate for that and making you forget that. But yeah, I anyway. think so. But it's interesting because, you know, when they're on the, the cruise on the planet, Crusher's taking care of a patient, one of the uh, one of the people down on the planet, and she walks out and sees all these people suffering, and she just smiles. She's just standing there smiling. I was like, what is wrong here? Because this is before I realized, you know, we found out really about Red Jack. I was like, why mm. is she smiling? Did the artist make a goof on this? And then... She and then there's a close up of her definitely smiling. Okay, okay, she's smiling again in another panel. Then it starts to happen where it's like, okay, she's not who we think she is because now she looks mm-hmm. evil when she's on the Enterprise. <laughs> she's got, you know, the, her eyebrows are arched down like, I'm doing something dangerous now. <laughs> it's kind of like in Deep Space Nine when they reveal that Bashir is actually a changeling in uh, that yeah. one episode. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden after they re- they've revealed it, now they show him like smiling and being evil all the time and threatening. Whereas, you know, before then nothing, but anyway, right. Um, <laughs> Winking so, at yeah, the camera we... now, <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> exactly. Wringing my hands. And <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have been funny if Bashir did that. <laughs> ghosts and goblins that's what it is (laughs) excellent well now of course red jack has traveled to the enterprise in dr crusher and he is now loose aboard the ship and this is where you know part of the story starts feeling a little bit familiar because of like you said that episode wolf in the fold we've got you know the Enterprise computer trying to frighten everyone and and create all this fear that this entity supposedly lives on. And because it's the next generation, we have a new piece of technology for it to interact with, which actually makes the story really interesting. Uh, He's able to get onto the holodeck and create his own environment there. And of course, the environment he picks is the same environment that Jack the Ripper is from, you know, 19th century London, and specifically the era of Data's program, Sherlock Holmes. Right. So all of a sudden, Data comes into the holodeck, find Red Jack, and all of a sudden, his uniform changes to Sherlock Holmes. So it's almost like we get a Sherlock Holmes Data story and a Red Jack story. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of neat because it's it's Data as Sherlock Holmes hunting Red Jack as Jack the Ripper, which is, I don't know, like, I would imagine coming up with this story, 
I think that must have been, and this is just a guess on my part, that must have been the hook that made them go, oh, okay, yes, we should do this story because, you know, everything kind of leads to this point and it's kind of getting them to face off in this, you know, 19th century Victorian setting. And this is, you know, pretty clearly the showcase of the comic. Yep. And in the meantime, on the planet, Red Jack isn't there anymore, and then they know about this entity because they've learned about it from the Enterprise. And so the president there decides, well, this entity needs to be destroyed, and no one has been able to do that. And so it's on the Enterprise, so the best thing we can do now is just destroy it by destroying the Enterprise. And so they send a fleet of ships up to attack the Enterprise. It's not that they want to kill the people on the Enterprise, but this is the only way to rid this thing from the rest of the galaxy because it could put a lot of planets in this galaxy to war and fight mm-hmm. each other within their own planet and with other planets. Yeah, and it, it it's interesting because it definitely adds a ticking clock element to the story. You know, they have to uh, figure out how to either kill or eliminate the threat posed by Red Jack, you know, before things get so bad that they end up do getting destroyed by this little fleet and stuff. And, you know, Riker's able to fight them off for a little bit. You know, they don't want to destroy these people, obviously, because they're just kind of trying to defend themselves by eliminating this threat. But they are still getting damaged, so they do have to defend themselves. And Riker buys them a little bit more time to figure out how to solve the problem, but it really adds this kind of other peril to the story. Yeah, and then Red Jack all of a sudden starts beaming crew members into the holodeck. As the Enterprise is getting attacked by these ships, now they've got to deal with that in addition to what's going on in the holodeck, and he's putting fear into some of the crew members in there to the point that some of them have actually died. Mm. Yeah, it de- the stakes definitely do mount here for sure what did you think i i'm curious as to your thoughts about what happens with Worf in the holodeck he kind of gets pretty crazed at one point what did you think of that little bit with Worf? yeah he seems to get really agitated very quickly um and just kind of goes off to attack and and i'm just assuming that at this point, there's a lot of fear in him. I think he overcomes it eventually because mm-hmm. uh, he t- attacks Red Jack. But yeah, he's dressed up as like a police officer uh, and he just kind of goes a little nuts. He's almost like Wolverine. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, you know, oh, I'm so angry and hey, I'm going to attack and kill. <laughs> and he goes after Picard when Picard is finally beamed into the holodeck and Picard's in his old Navy type uniform that we see in Star Trek generations. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I have to say, I, (laughs) one thing I really appreciated about this story for sure, because you know, that shot in generations when they all get called to the bridge, when they walk onto the bridge in those 19th century uniforms and, ah, man, that's gorgeous. I wanted that to be the next uniform. (laughs) Oh, I know. I just thought that was really cool when I first saw that movie and they walk on the bridge. It's like, wow. You know, it's just like seeing something, those type of uniforms on the bridge just was really an odd thing to see, but really impressive too. Mm -hmm. So basically at the end, they, they're kind of distracting Red Jack, worse fighting him. 
and they're kind of concentrating all the energy into this one space in the holodeck. What did you kind of think of how they eventually defeated Red Jack? Did that did it kind of ring true to you or I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it kind of did. It was okay for me because Red Jack is throughout the ship, but he's putting a lot of his energy into the holodeck, but he's still in other parts of the ship. But the more he puts himself in the holodeck, the less he is throughout the ship. So Worf is battling him and really going on big time that, like you said, he's Red Jack. The whole idea was to get Red Jack to be all inclusive into the holodeck so that Jordy can come in with his little casket and capture his essence into it. I'm not, I'm not really sure how Jordy knew how to do that, <laughs> but I thought it was, you know, an interesting way to defeat Red Jack besides just beaming him out into space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we definitely saw how well that ended up the last time they did that. So yeah, let, let's not do that again. <laughs> and it's addressed in the, in the comic that he, mm-hmm. the entity, cause the entity's out in space, but then a ship goes by or whatever. And he attaches himself into the ship or whatever, something to that effect. But it's interesting because the original series episode, they said, you know, he's out and we beamed him into space and he could be out there for quite some time, but over time he'll probably, you know, dissolve and die away. But obviously he found a, he hitched a ride He's the hitchhiker in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. So they trap him, like you say, in this casket and put this casket in some sort of energy field and leave it on the surface of one of the moons of, of Enoch seven. So it's kind of, he's kind of still exiled like he was in the original series, but contained. So literally they've put a Pandora's box on this moon. And I kind of wonder, you know, if somebody someday somewhere might get, get it into their head to, you know, try and release him and, and use him or something like that. I don't know. I like, I started thinking of like those ancient legends of, you know, great evil that's trapped in a place and, you know, releasing it kind of thing, you know, like kind of like the, the paw wraiths in deep space nine or something like that. Like, is this going to evolve into some sort of ancient legend that, you know, somebody might get it in their head someday to, to release or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's definitely left the door wide open for him to come back in some future tale. And I mean, in some ways I wish they would have just gotten rid of him, but Maybe they weren't allowed to. I don't know. And I'm meaning the writers of the comic. Maybe they weren't allowed mm-hmm. to kill him off. I don't know. But it, yeah, he definitely could come back. I don't see how one way that was he was dealt with in the original series, if that didn't work, why they think put him in a box on a moon is going to work this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think it is a, it's an interesting ending for sure. So, you know, I, I kind of like the idea that he's still, not out there, but still there kind of thing. So you want him to come back? Well, I just don't, I, I, I believe in not getting rid of potentially interesting story ideas, I guess. <laughs> You're just a big piglet fan, aren't you? Exactly. John, John Field Fiedler needs to come back as Red Jack for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his name? I think so. Yeah, I think I got that right. Wow. I mean, the fact that you know that. And and you know who Komini oh. is too. That's a that's just great. 
<laughs> well, but I'm not a true Star Trek fan. No, you're not. <laughs> so the final part of this story is another four-part miniseries, just like the first part. However, this was actually covered on a previous episode of Literary Treks by another group of true Star Trek fans. The Killing Shadows is, like I say, a four-part miniseries, and it was covered on episode 63 Way, way back when, really low number of literary treks. That episode was called Warfan the Barbarian, and it was first released on June 8th, 2014. So you really have to dig back in the Wayback Machine to find that. But in that episode, Christopher Jones was one of the hosts of literary treks at the time, and Matthew Rushing was not on the episode. And instead, they had the Earl Grey crew, Philip Gilfus, Darren Moser, and Daniel Prue reviewing The Killing Shadows. Now, Bruce and I also read that story. We didn't want to kind of leave it out, but at the same time, we don't really want to go in too into depth in that because, it, as I say, it was already covered. But, Bruce, what are your kind of thoughts on The Killing Shadows? I thought it was okay. Uh, it was a little confusing for me at times. I was like, what's going on? This doesn't make sense. Because there's the space ninjas, and, I mean, literally, they're the... Uh, they're the Bodhi Shin or Shine Bodhi Shin or something like that. But anyway, they're, they're descendants or they pattern themselves after the ancient ninjas of Earth. They're and ninjas in space. <laughs> You've been waiting all day to do that. Oh, you know it. You know it. <laughs> but it was weird because they, I don't know if they had some, this weird psychic ability to make people like get scared because the crew starts acting a little weird at times around them. Uh, but the thing that got me is our crew would also fight the ninjas and beat them every time. Like Troy by herself would take down a ninja and then you'd see, you know, Picard take, you know, two ninjas down and then Riker's fighting three or four at once and he takes all of them down. And I'm just like, when did the enterprise crew become ninja fighters? Yeah. It kind of almost reminds me of William Shatner's novels that he did with Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, where captain Kirk can defeat war for something like that. It's like, yeah, there are heroes and we love them, but I mean, come on, really? They can take on highly trained space ninjas who, you know, are experts in martial arts. It's just, it's a little bit hard to believe. Yeah. And my feelings, I think, very much kind of line up with yours. There's a lot of confusing stuff in this story. The art is gorgeous. There's a lot of really good things about this story. But to me, it's almost like the author had a whole bunch of really cool things he liked and wanted to see in Star Trek and crammed them all into one story. And it just gets overloaded and confused and a little muddled. So, yeah, I think you and I kind of agree on that one. Yeah, it felt almost as if there were certain panels missing. Mm -hmm. And because some things just didn't flow right. It, and like it felt like there were missing pieces in the story. But there were some really neat ideas. I was really confused exactly with the void of unity, what that is. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, I mean, there's a lot of action to it, which can be fun in a comic story. And uh, Sela's in it. She's She's there and um <laughs> which my favorite part is the end because she finds the enterprise crew because she wants something from the federation and she helps them through this adventure and and so at the end 
she gets this box handed to her from a Starfleet officer that has uh, some pictures and the communicator pin of Tasha Yar, her mother. And she just looks at this box for a moment and then drops it and shoots it with a phaser and says, you will no longer haunt me, mother. (laughs) (laughs) And at first I was like, okay, she went all this way just to get this small little box of trinkets from her mother just to shoot it and say, you've haunted me. But then I started thinking about it. It's like, well, she looks at the box. So I thought maybe she actually did want these items from her mother. And as soon as she started looking at it, she started to resent her. And then changed her mind and destroyed the box and its Mm. contents. Yeah. And I mean, that's a perfect example of, you know, this really cool idea, this really neat scene that's in that story. And like I say, there's a bunch of them in this story, but they're just, they're, they're kind of strung together in this weird way. And I don't know, to me, the story doesn't work as a as a whole but there's a lot of really neat little things in it that i really liked so you know if you get the chance you should pick this up and read that story um and if you really want a deep in-depth look at this story definitely check out episode 63 warfan the barbarian from three years ago can you believe that three years ago I know it's incredible. There's there's certain shows I feel like that were just a year ago and then I realized it was like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, crazy stuff. Well, like I say, check out that episode and uh yeah, let's uh let's close out by kind of giving our overall thoughts and ratings about Enemy Unseen as a whole. Bruce, what do you what would you kind of give as your final thoughts and ratings? Well, the first story which we covered a few weeks ago, I think I like that story the best. I thought that was a fairly strong story. Uh, The second story that we just covered a little while ago, um, I also enjoyed that one too. And I like the fact that it's kind of a sequel to an original series episode. And then this final story that we briefly talked about was a bit confusing, a little much. I wasn't a big fan of that one. So I would say if I have to take them all together, and if I was going to recommend the whole book to someone, I would say that I would give it three laughing piglets out of five. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a confusing and good rating. I don't know, is that good or bad? I, I don't know. Oh, d-d-d-deer. But uh, anyway. <laughs> I, well, that's what I should have said. Three d d <laughs> Three stuttery o-deers. <laughs> yes. I was on the spot. I had to come up with something quick, and I thought piglet. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well... Yeah, I I agree with you. It's a very strong start. And again, that middle story, I really do enjoy it. There's some really interesting stuff in there. And this last story, you know, I don't want to totally write it off. You know, it was there was a lot of really interesting stuff in there, but it does kind of pull it down a little bit. Again, if someone asked me who is a Star Trek fan, you know, should I pick this up? Should I read these? I would definitely say yes. You know, it's really worth your time. I really like the theme of, you know, enemy unseen, the theme that kind of links all of these stories together, enemies lurking in the shadows that you don't see and that kind of thing. It's a neat idea to create an omnibus around. And I think we're kind of lining up pretty closely on this, Bruce. I would have to give this one three out of five Sherlock Holmes deerstalker caps because you know what? Those those look really cool on anybody, and on Data especially. Gotta love it. Yes, dear Watson. 
Well, that was fun. You know, reading the comics, sometimes I feel like I never know what I'm going to get. They're either going to be, you know, good, sometimes solid, and sometimes really wacky-do. Star Trek comics are like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> and you never know what you're going to get with Q, which is my segue to mention that our next episode, we're going to be reviewing the novel Q Squared. And that was written by Peter David. And uh, we have a special guest. We have a Earl Grey host, Amy Nelson, that's going to join us to review that novel. Excellent. I'm really excited about that one. I think Q Squared is probably one of the very first Star Trek novels I ever read. And it's really the book that got me into Star Trek novels in the first place. And I love that book. I've, I've read it a few times now. I, I like it. it. It's been a long time. I actually never read it. I had the audio book. So this time I'm actually going to read it. Excellent. Well, it, it's, it's well worth the read for sure. But Q squared and the killing shadows and wolf in the fold and all of that stuff is not the only thing that we've been talking about on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Best of Both Worlds. It's a good episode. I, episodes. I, I enjoyed it. I remember when it first took off. Family was a hundred times better to me. I'd watch Family ten times to one over watching Best of Both Worlds or Inner Light. Those are the types of things that interest me. And I do enjoy the action-adventure pieces of it. I truly do. But I, I love seeing the characters. And that's why Wrath of Khan works. Warp 5. It was just mesmerizing to me. And I remember when my, my dad, a long time ago, had an airplane. He would take us up flying, but never, you know, we'd hold the wheel and say, hey, we're flying an airplane. But I never really was bitten by the flying bug. But it happened right there on a runway in Hawaii, on Oahu. The 602 Club. And we saw it in the first Alien as well. I mean, like the company sent them to yes. yep. to, to yep. the planet to bring that alien back, right? And uh, I, I didn't remember the part where in this film where Burke sent the the colonists to go and find the ship on his own without authority from the company. I had forgotten that part. So that was kind of an interesting revelation seeing this movie for the first time in 12 or 13 years, however long it's been since I've seen this. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of those shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPad, iPhone, or Apple TV, or even on the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. We recently got one from Casey Trekkie FM, and he says, Hey guys, I love your podcast, your enthusiasm, and your interaction with the fans. I don't make a lot of time in my schedule to read. But I love hearing about the books, and I love the guests you have on the show. Always enjoy the comic segment. Thanks for taking the time to entertain us all. Jeff. Well, thank you, Jeff, and thanks for the five stars. We really appreciate it, and we welcome everyone that's listening to give us a review on iTunes. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for that. But if you are not an Apple user... We've got you covered as well. You can find all of our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps. I think I use Podcast Addict. 
Uh, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well. There's literally dozens of ways you can find our podcast. Yeah, so you've already found us once, but there's other ways you can find us if you need to. And if you'd like to help us out with all our shows that keep coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special Patreon website, Patreon Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. So we really appreciate any support you can give us. And hey, we hope you'll be part of the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to extend our special thanks to Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shea for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Well, Bruce, when you're not making sure that the force field containing a fear-eating entity is intact as it sits in its lonely prison on some moon somewhere, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman, so please check that out. And of course, you can always find me talking Star Trek in the Babel Conference on Facebook. That was my attempt at Kirk right there, but it wasn't all that good. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so Dan, when you're not going insane and being paranoid about things, where can people find you? Am I going insane and being paranoid because of your Shatner impression? Because it wasn't that bad. (laughs) Thank you, Spock. Wow. Uh... (laughs) On second thought, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on Instagram at Kurtrats47. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Productions, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash Productions. And of course, just like Bruce, kicking around the Babel Conference, talking about Star Trek. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.